0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of Circuit 42. I'm your host, Ian, and I am here with special guest, comic creator, magic wizard, and creator of all things awesome, Jamie Ramos. Thanks for having me, Ian. Definitely. And um, so for those people who don't know as we start the show, those five people who are like, I don't know who Jamie Ramos is, please tell us. Tell us of your work, tell us of your wizardry, and tell us what you do those five people well, who I'm are a, you
1: i am uh, a writer from saint louis uh, i write prose uh stories and books and i also write graphic novels and comic book stories and that is so
0: cool how did you get started
1: oh i've always uh, been a writer uh since my childhood um and over the years You know, I've tried to develop uh, pitches for comic books, pitches for um, prose novels, uh, and uh, because of making contacts through Facebook over the last uh, five years or so, I've actually uh, networked enough to kind of get my name out there and get some things accepted.
0: Yeah, I know you had reached out to me a little while back um, about – your news comic, the John Howard of the Liberator. And I was really, I was really curious about it. I looked it up and I started looking at more and more of your work and seeing things like the anthology you've done the uh, Singularity Rise of the Post-Humans with David McElaney. anyone who doesn't know David Michelinie, um he's an iconic comic creator. Uh, one of the things he might be as very much well known for as recently is the creator of Carnage and Venom. Now, yeah. um it-
1: and uh, by the way, that story that David uh, wrote for my anthology is an award-winning story.
0: That's actually really cool. Um, how did that? Yeah. How did that happen? Because cause people people don't necessarily aren't necessarily writers or creators. Uh, collaborations for anthologies like this this is it is never easy. So I got to ask you about that process.
1: Well, putting the anthology together, I had already had a, a stable of writer friends on Facebook. Uh, so basically, I reached out to each one of them. Uh, David Michelini uh, and I, I had become Facebook friends uh, because I sent him a fan letter, actually, and he responded to me. And so when I developed the idea for the universe for singularity uh, – I thought maybe it might be something you might want to jump into. Now, bear in mind I was horribly naive to think that someone of his stature would do it. Uh and he was extremely kind to actually <laughs> join us on 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 our road together with that. So uh hats off to David. He wrote a great story, uh Singularity, of the rise of the posthumans, actually one of pulp works. Uh, anthology Best Anthology Award for that year, uh, so I'm very proud of uh, of that work. Yeah.
0: I I will say this: having um having had him as a as a guest on one of our early episodes, I always tell, tell people two different things. I always tell him David is really nice; he's really forthcoming when it comes to things like that. When it comes to networking communication, but um, and it's funny because you mentioned you know, being naive and approaching him to work on this book. But um, I remember I had been asked once at a panel, you know, how do you get, like, how do you get these people to be on your show? And I told him, well, you know, you just ask. Because the worst thing they could say is no. And you don't know what they're going to tell you until you actually just ask them.
1: It's funny that you say that because... Uh, I asked a lot of people, and I did get some uh negative answers, like basically Who are you? go away you know so y- you have to ask people if you want want something from them, but it wouldn't have surprised me if David had said no, but uh he's a very gracious uh writer uh friend, and uh we were lucky to have him on that project
0: exactly. And that's really one of those things. Like, you know, it's about creating those uh, po- both per- personal and professional relationships. And really, that's a big part of something as collaborative as the comic book industry. Um, with that, like we were talking earlier, we were talking about your series, um, John Heller, the Liberator. What is that about? It looks really cool. But the, the information, whenever I'm looking up, I see very little information in terms of the Actual series, what's about? Because I see, well, I know on your page, even you just basically wrote gritty, intense story.
1: Well, uh, John Heller, the Liberator, is a character that that I developed, um, and uh, he is basically a government operative whose target and goal is to eliminate human sex traffickers. Oh, wow. uh in America. And if you know anything about the subject, it's vast, wide and it permeates our country, not just our country, worldwide. It's a huge huge problem. Uh many many victims are in America right now uh because of sex trafficking. And uh basically because of his own personal experiences, John Heller is Driven with a passion to stop, um, to, to stop this trade. He, uh, is focusing in the first graphic novel, 50 page graphic novel. He's focusing on the city of New York. Uh, it will be published, uh, by Marcosia Enterprises. Shout out to Harry Marcos, who's a very kind, uh, very understanding publisher. Uh, that I've contacted uh, through a friend. Uh, networking again is is major, uh, but uh, yeah, it is very gritty. It's very violent, action packed adventure.
0: Now, looking like looking at looking at the style, looking at the kind of the way the story unfolds, just in the, even in the early artwork. Um, what are outside of what's going on in the world, and like we say, this is very much a real thing. And it's that difficulty when you're applying it to comics because you find that you find the balance, especially with something as real and so currently happening and finding a way to make the entertaining story out of it. Were there any difficulties with that?
1: Definitely. Uh, I actually have a contact who's an operator for the government uh, who. His specialty isn't exactly sex trafficking, but he gave me a lot of knowledge and a lot of tips on what to put in, what the jargon is, technical things. Uh, And I also have uh, one of my best friends is a a state trooper and a firearms instructor, Uh, and he's given me a lot of of info uh, about how uh, you should look and move and things of that nature. Uh, so, I mean, I've done my homework, but there's a difficulty in the fact that this is fantasy. Uh, obviously, uh, John Heller would not in real life try to take down, uh, a, a cartel of slave traffickers by himself as a solo. You, you gotta have backup, gotta have a team, things of that nature. But in comic books in fantasy adventure writing,
0: he can. Yeah, when I when I first read it, it definitely gave me a, like a um when I when I first started looking at it, reading previews, looking at the artwork, it very much gave me a Punisher vibe, specifically of like the Mike Baron, Steven Grant era. Uh, was that something that you were a fan of? Something that you read?
1: Oh, I'm a I'm definitely a fan of the Punisher, fan of those guys, for sure. Um, Mike Barron is a great writer. Um, there are some similarities. Uh, being a loan agent uh, against the underworld, but there's some there's some differences too. Uh, Heller, uh, the liberator. Not only does he try and rescue people from slavery, but he also takes the uh, sex traffickers money and things of that nature and donates it to charities where these people end up at uh, uh, different havens where people end up at uh, public places where they can be helped and things of that nature. So, I mean, he sees it through. He just doesn't only kill uh, the bad guys and move on, but he actually is trying to make a
0: difference in New York. See, and I really appreciate that because especially not as much now, nowadays it does seem like when you get a book like that, they really are taking advantage of the fact that they can, uh, you know of that of that research of, of the kind of grounding that we see in a lot of books now. Where you're seeing those elements, I really appreciate that about this because if you look at the books from that era, like we love, like The Punisher and other books from that era, but like you said, you you never really saw beyond the one dimension, beyond the dimension you find really kills them. Because they like you said, there's a lot of real world elements, there's a lot of research you've done, and just from your it, tell- you're telling me that really shows through, and I've got to say. As a reader, that's something I appreciate because it brings an extra foot of reality
1: in there. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks. I, I
1: think that uh, Punisher is a great character, and he serves a purpose. It's just uh, my character's different. Uh, like I said, there are some similarities, but there's also some differences. John Heller's got heart, and he's not just a a battle-worn uh, soldier. Uh, he's a guy who's trying to make a difference in the world.
0: And I appreciate uh, characters like this and like what Gene Collins have said, because it takes these ideas are being, these ideas and these concepts are being misappropriated, especially in recent political times, like um, like in the last couple of years. And it shows the surface of this. It shows why, in many ways, that misappropriation is wrong and why people do not necessarily understand a concept and kind of lean into their personal views, mostly not to get political, but mostly negative personal views. Yeah, I I know what you're saying.
1: Um, and my book isn't political per se, other than its underlying uh factor of this needs to be stopped exactly
0: you know and i think we can all agree on that 100 percent. now um earlier you mentioned the, the uh the flame a comic you're doing with uh lucky comics now yeah now here's the funny thing like especially as the industry is kind of moving forward we have a lot of like a lot of books from the big two people tend to forget get in many ways about these public domain characters we're seeing more of them we're seeing companies like Dynamite um, putting out like some high profile public domain characters a lot of people may not necessarily be familiar with I gotta ask you about this so I gotta ask you at the flame because this is just really cool and it shows just for me personally it's showing this range in terms of projects Is there are a lot of creators who tend to get pigeonholed and that's something I'm not right. seeing from this
1: well I yeah. It just so happens that John Helmer, who's the publisher at Lucky Comics, I've been friends with him on Facebook for a long time. He's part of my uh, uh, Liberator uh, Facebook group, and so he's been kind of, I guess, watching me a little bit, and uh, he contacted me not long ago and asked if I wanted to do uh, an eight-page story about the flame, and I said – of course, I said, yes. I mean, you don't get a lot of opportunities in comics out of the blue to jump on something so interesting. Uh, these public domain characters, they have a lot of life and they have a lot of history. But you got to be able to write within that history and bring them to the new, bring them uh, to, to modern day and make it make sense. So we pitched a few ideas and I wrote the first uh, script. And now he's extended me for two more issues, and uh, it's a great opportunity for uh, me with a great company who's got a great reputation, and uh, I'm very very proud and uh, humbled, you know, by the opportunity.
0: With that, as we, you know, like any like any comic creator, of course, we grew up uh, comic fans. There are a few exceptions that come into from different mediums into comics and kind of re- and kind of discover it as they are creating, but for you personally, how did you uh, not only you know really get started as a creator, but how did you first get into comics? What were some of the books that kind of led you to you know to where you are now?
1: I started buying comic books uh, in the seventies when I was like eight years old, and uh, I have a lot of uh, comic books, you know, legendary. Creators that I read as a child, like Michelini, Frank Miller, John Romita Jr. Uh, there's so many great Stanley, of course. Uh, I grew up with that. I grew up, you know, reading comics from the 70s and then into the 80s and 90s and beyond. And, uh, I, I always identified with comic book characters, uh, the Cape, you know, the archetype of good versus evil. I mean, these are uh, Shakespearean aspects that I always appreciated. Later in life, I diversified my reading from comic books to prose novels and, and had other appreciations uh, for different types of writing. But I basically grew up with it, and I always had a connection to comic books, and I knew that I would create comic books – at some point in my life, and uh, I'm uh, very blessed to, to be given the opportunities that I have right now.
0: So I gotta ask I gotta ask you about that because this is something as a as a comic fan. There's always always I've always kind of seen this whole idea of like the creative team or the run versus the character or the title itself. Like for me, I've always been somebody who. While the one now the one book that I could always collect the one book I actually been slowly but surely actually completing is uh, X Men and like its various titles spin-offs, etc. But for the most part I'm the kind of person where I more subscribe to the idea of a particular creator or a particular creative team or run than I do an individual title or car- individual title team or character. So I got to ask you as a comic book fan. What do you tend to lean more towards when it comes to selecting the books that you read or read? Uh, is it more so the title or more so like the creator of the run?
1: Well, I think uh, the art would usually as a, as a kid, the art grabbed me. You know, if somebody drew uh, something cool, you know, I would gravitate toward it. But the art might have grabbed my attention, but the writing is what kept me. And I I witnessed Chris Claremont do over twenty years worth of X Men with all sorts of different artists some some great some not as good you know whatever what have you but uh, the writing is what kept me hooked and then of course you gravitate toward other books that that writer team or art writer artist team has put together you know I followed you know. Uh, uh, Frank Miller, you know, throughout his career. Um, uh, Bob Layton is another guy that I followed pretty much throughout his career. Uh, but so, yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, really, in that regard, because when you think about it, you really would need one for the other. And, um, yeah. I mean, the first, like, I had I had picked up a handful of comics casually as a kid, but the one that I started reading, the one that made me realize, oh wait, these comic books actually read in order; they're not just random issues, was um like because I'm, I'm a little bit younger, um and it was the there it was one the, it was a Wolverine by Larry Hama and Dwayne Turner, and mm-hmm. it was right around the time the X the Men animated series was, uh kind of really hitting its stride. And mm-hmm. of course, like every kid in the 90s, I was obsessed with Wolverine. I just saw that there was a Savage Land, which I just seen the cartoon, so I picked it up, and then I started reading the issues as they came out. And because I was a little kid with a little kid budget, I ended up picking up like six issues, and thinking that was a lot. But um, but since then, I still am, even though I liked Wayne Turner's artwork, I still am a huge fan of Larry Hama. And it's the kind of that thing where, like you said, you start off with the artist. Or familiarity, and then you have that particular creator or creators that you kind of latch onto, and then that that's what really develops that fandom, you know? Yeah,
1: definitely. And then sometimes you you have certain creators that can write and, and draw, you know, uh, and then you get the kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, I was always a big fan of Walter Simonson, John Byrne. Uh, to name a few. Um, but uh, usually what you grow up with is what you keep as an adult. And uh, I still like all those guys. I, I, I've i followed a lot of them throughout the years. And, uh, you know, they're all great. Larry Hama is, is a great writer. Uh, he started out at Marvel, I believe, in the 70s.
0: Yep. And uh, he he's fantastic. Have you ever interviewed him? i've always wanted to like i got to meet him at a convention in austin and i was so nervous because i forgot that he was going to be there and i literally just ran <laughs> and got a wolverine trade collection and got it signed by him and um, <laughs> and he said did, did you buy this just come get it signed yeah because <laughs> i forgot all my, i forgot all my comics at home
1: <laughs> <laughs> A lot of these creators are, are, uh, very fan friendly. And, uh, it's really funny when you meet them because you find out that they're the regular people, you know. Some are nice, some are business, some are casual, some are friendly, you know, but they're basically people. Uh, so that also harkens back to what we were saying is if you don't ask, you'll, you'll never know. Um, I don't plan on uh, resting my laurels where I'm at right now in my writing career. So uh, I will definitely be contacting
0: others as, as things go about. Was it Guillermo del Toro, the director? He doesn't like, not, not that he hates it, but he looks at it as a bad movie. And they asked him mm-hmm. why, and he said, because it was my first movie. And because when I watch it, I don't see any of the good. I just see all the problems. And I see right. all the stuff that I would do now as a director. And I got to talk to Ron Perlman about that. And Oh cool. And yeah, Ron, Ron is super cool. He's kind of he's kind of intimidating because it's Ron Perlman. But he's super cool. Right. And um and we kind of broke that down. And he and I were we got to we got to talk at the convention. I got my copy signed by him. And um basically we came we kind of came to the conclusion that the idea of an artist where the moment that you're not looking at your work and seeing the things that you can improve is the moment that you become stagnant, and it's the moment that you kind of allow that ego to take over. A perfect example, even though he's a talented filmmaker, is M. Night Shyamalan, because there was a point where he kind of, you know, he heard, he saw everyone calling him the next Hitchcock, and he kind of, you could tell he kind of let himself believe that. Yeah,
1: I'm a fan of his and I'm a fan of Ron Perlman, Um, you have to be careful about ego. You have to be careful about the muse. you got to hold on to the muse. What is it that makes you right? What is it that propels you forward in the late hours when your family's asleep and you're still plugging away at the computer? You know, I mean, that fire has got to stay there. If the fire goes out, you might as well stop, but I'm I'm kind of like that in the fact that uh, I don't like a lot of my earlier uh, writings. I I just recently uh, uh, republished a, a story that I I did uh, for an anthology with uh, a publisher called Airship Twenty Seven, and as I was going back through the story, I thought, Oh my goodness, this is terrible! What were you doing, my? You know, so many rookie mistakes uh, and prose writing is very, very tough. And there are so many unwritten rules that you have to follow. And uh, I was just like, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. I belong to a, a writing group and I was reading it to my writing group and uh, they were being very kind to me. But they definitely recognized the fact that that was one of my
0: my first completed stories see the funny thing is i'm i'm much i'm right there with you because i've done some writing nothing substantial but like just more for me than for anything you know more like writing exercises stuff like that and like you mentioned we mentioned claremont earlier i grew up with that kind of style that kind of Mm. i don't want to use the term purple prose but i but well that's really that's really what it is So when I write, or when I first started writing, I just described everything to the point where it's like everything is almost too much detail. And I think a lot of it is just from that. It's just that I I was taking what I enjoyed and applying it to that. And the problem is that not everyone can do that and make it work. And instead of actually just streamlining the story, I was telling too much about the story. Hmm. Well,
1: you know, it, it's good that you can reflect back and say say that. Uh, a lot of writers aren't very good at critic criticizing their own work. Um, you you ape what you've read. So if you read great writers, your style will will naturally uh, be similar to those types of writers. If you read terrible writers and you read schlock, then that's what your writing style is going to be. And the thing to do as a writer is to pick and choose whose techniques you like and don't like, and and use those techniques. Uh, like a, a great is Hemingway, I read a lot of Hemingway uh, when I was a kid, and I've always enjoyed it. And there's a podcast about Hemingway's technique. Uh, on youtube and it's four or five parts and it blew me away because i was like yeah that is what i like about his writing you know he did this and he did that grammatically this is you know tone this is all the types of things that he tried to do and uh yeah that's the reason why he's a nobel laureate and most people aren't
0: (laughs) what it is really for me about his writing like I'm limited in the work that I've read. I've read uh, The Old Man and the Sea, and I've read some visitor work as well. But it's the, the grit. like It makes you feel like not only is he right there in that situation, but you're right there too. And that's hard to do as a writer without definitely. feeling like you're putting on a voice. You know what I mean? De- definitely. I
1: mean, they say uh, right what you know. Well, I can't write about going into combat because I've never been in combat. So I have to, uh, you know, imagine, use your imagination. That's where, that's where writers have to draw from. But Hemingway, you know, a lot of the stuff that he did, he, he could vouch for because he did it. He was a man, an international man of the world. So that worked for him. He drew upon his own experiences, but most of us, we don't really, uh, have that because we can't say that you know the rest of us have to use our imaginations
0: exactly and um but in a way that in itself it's kind of like drives you even further because yes we can take from what we've seen and take from from the world and take kind of take from the world around us but to stretch yourself even further not only while well, well, it does create a bigger challenge for yourself it at the same time makes you go out there, makes you do that research and bring that voice of authenticity
1: definitely you you have to do your research. If you're writing about guns, you need to know a little bit about guns. If you're writing about martial arts, it's good to do your research there, you know, or whatever that's for action, of course. Uh, if you've never fallen in love, you definitely can't write a love story. It's almost impossible, you know, in in a sense, but you can you can imagine what it was like, um, you know. There's a lot of resources out there for writers nowadays on the internet. Uh, if you want to know about uh, Thai stick fighting, it's out there. You know what I mean. Uh, you just have to look it up uh, and figure it out. But there's certain details that are important. And that is you have to move your reader. You have to be able to make an emotional connection there. If you can't do that, then it's just it's, – it's all a waste.
0: Exactly, because it has to be that mix because even – you could do as much research as you can, but if you don't have the emotional connection, create that. There's really no authenticity behind it. So it's just – at that point, it just becomes technical writing.
1: Exactly, and when I watch movies, that's how it is. There has to be a heart to that movie. There has to be something that needs to be said or done in that movie that's going to compel me to watch an hour and a half to two and a half hours worth of it. You know, what I mean, I have to be able to connect with the characters and the plot and what's going on. And uh, even comedy. Uh In comedy, uh people think, "Oh, you just write funny scenes," but that's not it. People still have to connect
0: with the characters. And they have to still connect with the jokes. Yeah, because you actually – plus you actually have to create a sense of narrative, even if it's absurdism. I mean, because you look at – um, if you look at – because like you said, people can say – have jokes and have uh, – people can have just straight-up jokes, and you can have something hacky like A Million Ways to Die in the West, or you can make something like Blazing uh, Saddles. Where you actually have characters that you immediately connect with, you actually have a narrative, even if it is one based on absurdism, and that's the <laughs> difference between structuring comedy and structuring <laughs> storytelling and a lack of it.
1: Exactly, uh, I'm a I'm a big Mel Brooks fan, of course. Uh, I think that uh, some of his stuff is is just classic, classic stuff. And uh, I like to watch a lot of it with my son too, who's uh, fourteen, and uh, we get we get a charge out of it. Uh, and I mean, you, you got to have some basic four or five basic elements of writing in everything that you do. And uh, if you've got those elements, you're golden.
0: Exactly. The um, it's interesting because we talk about structuring comedy, and when you look at something some of the later Mel Brooks stuff like uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It, you could see it starting to slip. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. I mean, even though I'm a Mel Brooks fan, I could legitimately say that that movie is terrible. Because the fact Mm -hmm. that that structure and characters weren't there, it basically was was just him doing what we'd see later in movies like Scary Movie is just straight up parody without anything behind it, which is unfortunate. Well,
1: you know, the the Muses is a, a fickle... Uh, fickle uh, entity. <laughs> sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. But you got to be able to write through it, uh, and you got to be able to, to connect regardless. But um, some of his, some of them Brooks' stuff, I, I think, is just almost spot on, perfect.
0: Absolutely. I mean, one of my I mean one of my absolute favorite movies, actually, my favorite of his movies is uh, Young Frankenstein, because I grew up a huge fan. Right. Of the Universal Monsters, and then I'm, I love Mel Brooks' shtick, and so like the fact that that the fact that a movie like that exists is just um, perfect for me. The thing that I find kind of interesting though about that particular movie, and it's why collaboration, which especially in comics is important, um, Gene Wilder, got into a lot of arguments with them with that movie. Because mm-hmm. Mel Brooks wanted his, wanted him to be in it, wanted himself to be in it, and he wanted to kind of lean into the Mel Brooksisms. And Gene Wilder was the one who fought to actually keep that authenticity and to really uh-huh. keep that, that the, the narrative, the universal monsters, without as much of them leaning into those gags that kind of took you out of the movie or kind of broke the fourth wall. And I wanted to mention that specifically because it kind of speaks with the collaborative nature of comics. And as someone like yourself, I want to touch on that a little bit because it is unique. It's it's tough. Um,
1: hmm. Well, my artist, John Howard, for uh, The Liberator, he is a very intuitive um, artist. He... Reads the script and he, he goes about it the way that, that he thinks I want it to be out there. And my scripts are very basic. I keep it uh, four or five panels. Uh, I don't overly direct the action. I keep it very simple. So that way he can tap it into his creative side. And, and draw the comic that's going to look the best. If you're not engaging with your artist, uh, in that way, it's really tough to make, to make a beautiful comic book. Um, uh, John is very, very skillful guy, uh, very subtle, uh, in what he does. Um, so I've been, I've been, uh, you know, fortunate to have him part of my team.
0: And that's really what makes all the difference because if that chemistry between yourself and your collaborators is not there, it's very apparent, in, especially in comics.
1: Oh yeah, I mean you can you can tell when people are having a good time and when they're not. You know, <laughs> definitely. Um, I I try to give people room to shine. You know, I, I try not to overly direct uh, what's going on in the panels. Uh, I keep it simple, and I, I let him lean on his own creativity. And so far, uh, it's 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 been a great uh, a great friendship and uh, uh, a great collaborative effort. Also, I want to shout out to uh, Modi Friedman, who did my cover. Who's a friend of mine? He uh, did the cover for uh, Liberator, and it's it's awesome.
0: Yeah, I actually was I was actually watching. Uh, interview that both of you did together before I uh, came out So I was watching that a couple of days ago as um, kind of research, and it really it's really apparent in terms of both the, create, the creative connection, the personal connection, and like we were talking about, you know, when you have that really good collaboration, you're going to build not only a professional friendship, but you're going that professional relationship, but you're going to build that friendship as well, even if Definitely. you hadn't maybe worked with the person even before then.
1: I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, obviously artists are professionals. They want to do their best work. You know, especially if you're paying them. You know, they, they definitely like paid work and they definitely like to, to, uh, create special things. I think all artists do. I don't think there's many artists that don't want their best stuff out there, but you don't have to have that connection. Uh, there are probably a hundred thousand examples where two people weren't on the same page, but they got something done. Uh, but uh, for me, for what I've been doing, it's worked out just great.
0: So, with that, um, as we uh, with that as we bring the show to a close, or anything in particular that you would have mentioned, anything or where can or if not, where can we find you? Where can people find you and your work?
1: Well, you can find me on Facebook under Jamie Ramos. Uh, you can also find me at uh, the Liberator Graphic Novel group in Facebook. It's a public group. Got about 260 members or something like that right now. But it's strong. It's a strong group that engages with me. Um, and I like all those people. They're all awesome, awesome friends. Um Uh, The Liberator will be coming out uh, in the next couple of years by Marcosia Enterprises. Uh, I will be doing stuff for Lucky Comics. And uh, basically, uh, if you want to take a look at uh, Singularity, uh, it was published by Pro Se Publications uh, and is on Amazon.
0: Fantastic. And, um, of course, you can find Circuit 42 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can listen to us on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, With that, as we bring the show to a close, I want to say thank you to our special guest, Jamie Ramos. Thank you. And with that, I want to say thank you to all of you for listening. And making Circuit 42 just seem so much cooler than it actually is. And with that, have a great night, everyone.